Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast that is devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome Dr. Daniel Dickert to the podcast. Daniel serves as the lead pastor of Shandon Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. He's a two-time graduate of Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and the author of the recently released Church Together. Dr. Dickert, welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. It is a joy to be with you today. Yeah, look, eager to have the conversation today, and we'll be building it, by the way, from your new book, Church Together, The Church of We in the Age of Me. And I love how you have that frame, The Church of We in the Age of Me. And before we get to the book, though, and to the conversation that we're building on it, uh, give us some words of update on yourself, your family, your ministry, and what the Lord is doing in your life currently. Yes, it's been a busy 2023 for our family, Dr. Allen, as I recently transitioned from Friendly Avenue Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina, to Shandon Baptist Church in Columbia, South Carolina. And Shandon is a wonderful, Great Commission church located in the heart of the Palmetto State. We're about five miles from the University of South Carolina, so the church has a great college ministry presence, as well as 1,000 yards away from Fort Jackson, which is a major military base. So we're glad to be here, as well as this year I have the responsibility of being the president of the Southern Baptist Convention Pastors Conference, and that's just around the corner in June. As well as my wife, we have four children and one on the way. So life is busy for us right now, but God's been so gracious, and it's been a good year for the Dickard family. Uh, Good for you. Well, listen, give us a sense on the book itself, not so much the message, the argument, some of the points we'll unpack together. But more the logistics of it, like where did it come from? Why this book? What brought this book about? What were you seeing, perceiving? What was interesting you to undertake this project? The impetus of the book came from 20-plus years of observing ministry. My father is a pastor, and so growing up in a pastor's home and seeing the expressions of me within the church, as well as seeing them in various churches that I've had the opportunity to serve— that it wasn't limited to simply one congregation, but I think a microcosm of where we are at right now in Western culture as it relates to the church. And so 25-plus years as a believer, as well as watching the, the church and the shift from a we culture to a me culture, at least in the West, that there was a great motivation to, to write the book. You know, as I was at Friendly Avenue and now at Shandon, I think this provides us a map for moving forward knowing that there are the expressions of me and consumerism and pragmatism and legalism and liberalism churches have to fight against in order to get to that place of we focus, the 54 one another's in Scripture that are also important. And so really this was birthed out of a desire to see churches grow in health and strength and get back to the basics of intercessory prayer, disciple-making, expositional preaching, being at the heart of what we do as a church. And so it was a labor of love. I wrote the book in about a year and a half, but certainly out of observations that I had seen personally over the last 20-plus years. Well, thank you for unpacking that. Well, look, let's move now into the book itself. And again, we're not going to be just buried in the book in this podcast, but we really are building the conversation from it. And, uh, you know, when I pick up the book, and even have it at hand now as we're talking, Church Together, The Church of We and the Age of Me, At first glance, one might conclude that this book was really birthed in the context of spring of 20, and and COVID, and the isolation, the separation, and then kind of wrote the book in the aftermath of that. But that's not really the case. This book began before COVID, right? 
That is correct. This book began well before COVID, but COVID certainly accelerated the project as that there was more time to write during that season. But the book and the research thereof began well before COVID. And so give us a sense of, of the main argument you're making. Yeah, the main argument of the book is that the greatest underlying threat in the church today is me-centered individualism. You know, whereas the gospel says and Jesus says to take up our cross and follow me, individualism calls for the expression of self. And so with the greatest underlying threat in the church today being me-centered individualism, I began to look at what I call the three rotten expressions of individualism within the church today, which is pragmatism, consumerism, and the extremes of legalism and liberalism. You know, Dr. Allen, growing up in the church and hearing words such as surrender, they seem so ethereal to me at a young age. And the Christian life is not just living for God. The Christian life is about dying to self and allowing God to live his perfect life through us. But this idea of surrender just seems so vague to me as a young Christian. And so over the years, I began to study the biggest and the greatest relationships that we have as believers, the main relationships being the relationship that we have with self, the relationship that we have unto God, the relationship we have with our family, the relationship we have to unbelievers, and the relationship that we have to other believers. And as I began to study Scripture, I would see a correlative value for each of these areas on how we are to surrender in these main relationships. For example, when we surrender unto self, that's through prayer. So Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, you know, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Now, Jesus is perfect. We are not. But we surrender unto self through, through prayer. Well, then we surrender unto God through accepting God's thoughts, not ours. That's being focused in Bible, and we surrender unto our family by ministering to our family. We surrender unto believers through disciple-making. As I say in the book, disciple-making is an act of death to easy believism and casual Christianity. We die so that other people can live, so we invest in their life so that they can grow spiritually, and then we surrender unto a lost world through mission. So it was looking at these main relationships And then this bigger idea of surrender, and practically speaking, how do we surrender in the main relationships of life? Now, that's the church of we, those five values, but then looking at those expressions of individualism, how we got there, and then what we must do to overcome some of those me-centered expressions today. Yeah, I love how you take that up, and uh, you, you mentioned several times the word surrender, and like you in my childhood, my local church, the word surrender was used commonly. And actually, I touch on this in a couple of my previous writing projects, previous books. For me, that as a 14-year-old, as an 8-year-old, as a 17-year-old, that term landed with much confusion. But looking back at it, I think, though I misunderstood it, it is a term that the church does well to recover, and recover in a, in a healthy biblical sense. And so I love the fact that, that you used that word and zero in on that term. And look, we have to acknowledge that this indeed is the age of me. And uh, it's not just in the culture, but it so often is in the church. And, you know, we see artifacts of it around. This reality shows up in our lives. Not that long ago, I was in Kansas City here, and uh, I found myself just conversing with someone in the community whom I did not know but had bumped into in in, in a store and uh, just was small talking for a moment. And I had detected in the conversation they, they were believers, and I said, well, where do you go to church? You know, pretty obvious question. 
And they said without any reservation, without any sense of embarrassment, they just very casually said, well, it depends on like when we want to go to service. If we want a Saturday night service, you know, we go to Church X. If we want an early Sunday service, you know, we go to Church Y. If we want a late Sunday service, we, we go to Church Z. And of course, you know, as a minister, uh, you know, alarm bells in my head are going off as they're saying this. But it did strike me that that is more common than we want to acknowledge very often. And it's this sort of evangelical free agency of floating around perhaps what church is logistically most compatible with our schedules, or just floating around over just like what we want. And if we want a type of music, if we want a type of teaching, if we want certain service times, if we want certain comfort within the building, et cetera, et cetera, that drives the decision, and then if any of those things are changed, then that prompts us to revisit our decision as, as to where we will, we will be a member of. So I love the fact you're taking this up, and I'm just saying this to echo the fact that I think this is a pronounced concern in the church today, and we would do well to be wise to it. Yeah, you know, at the time of us recording this, Dr. Allen, the NCAA basketball tournament is just about to begin, and within college athletics today, you see the term transfer portal. And unfortunately, in our churches that we've had the transfer portal for years, and that, as I say in the book, church shoppers become church hoppers. And that's part of the problem of consumerism. You know, you hear people say, well, I didn't get fed in church today, or I didn't have a good experience. But my theological conviction is if Christ is exalted and the word is preached, the problem is not you didn't get anything out of it. It was that you were there for the wrong reason. And so I think this issue of consumerism and looking more at the experience of the church and what we get out of it, rather than seeing the church as a place where we're equipped so that we can leave the walls of the church to go and minister to a hurting community, that we've got to move away from consumerism and back to a biblical picture of what the church is to look like. And so at the heart of this book is healthy ecclesiology as well, and understanding what is the purpose of the church, and to see how the church has aired recently, the local church that is, and the expressions of me. So then talking in this moment, especially to pastors, and our listeners to this podcast tend to be pastors, local church ministers, seminary students, so forth. Uh, give us some words of counsel to pastors, how pastors can better equip, better shepherd their people through, through different changes and things that might uproot folks to help them not just overcome, but to help their people perceive the real liabilities to this hyper-individualism and to ward against it in their congregations. A few thoughts to pastors. I would say, first of all, the church is built on Christ, not a pastor. So we must move away from this CEO mentality model of ministry where we put the spotlight on one individual or personality. In so many ways, we feed into the culture of consumerism when we talk about ROIs and return on investments. So the goal to the pastor is take the spotlight off of you and put it onto Christ. Christ is the hero of our worship, not us. I would also say that another is that we don't serve customers. Our goal is to get people to Christ. So this idea of you come to our church and that we will give you X. Church is not transactional in that sense. As I say in the book, that you can either be a family or a factory, but not both. A factory is very transactional, but family is relational. And it should hurt when we leave a church or when someone leaves a church. So the value of church is not 
necessarily on how many are there, but who is there. And so I would encourage pastors that highly relational to get to know your people, moving away from the CEO model. But another practical advice, Dr. Allen, to pastors is churches are not our competitors. Instead, that we are linking arms in ministry, that we are better together. That's at the thrust of the book, that we have to get to the point where churches are rejecting what I would call theological Darwinism. And we have this idea of survival of the fittest that's an ideology in church competition today. And churches that are in competition for that next so-called five-star talent or five-star family, we must move away from that to seeing those that we're ministering to as people for whom Christ died and for whom Christ loves, and we're not in competition with other churches. And last thing that I would say here is a practical advice. We've got to move away from evangelism as simply reduced to marketing. Evangelism, 1 Corinthians 15, is the declaration of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And in so many of our church plants today, and even in established churches, that we have shifted from evangelism to marketing, and we call it evangelism today, but it's really consumerism wrapped up in an identity of us wanting to build our kingdom. And so these are just some ways that I'm seeing today that pastors must view the consumerism mentality and get back to healthy ecclesiology. Yeah, and as you have observed in your own local church ministry ministries over the years, there's nothing sweeter than God's people being of one mind, one heart, you know, dwelling together in one accord. What have you seen along those lines? I mean, give us some comparison and some contrast between a church that's comprised of people that are, that are me-centered as opposed to a church comprised of people that are, that are we-centered. Yeah, well, I do think that there's the juxtaposition there. And as I mentioned earlier, the difference between a factory and a family. Maybe I could start there. Uh, factories create temporary products, whereas families create lasting relationships. Families do not allow styles and fads, fashion, music, and even personal opinions to blow whimsically through culture that drive generations apart. And one of the contrasts that I see, Dr. Allen, we have united consumers, but we have separated families in our worship services. And so, you know, I don't want to be legalistic here, but if our goal is to create a family, we've got to look at ways of bringing families and generations together and not simply driving them apart based on preferences. You know, I would also say that the church of me is so quick to secure its own desires and wants and preferences. But in the church of we, we crucify self for the interest of others. And so many churches today, they're clamoring for what's called that old-time religion. But I just seem to believe that our goal is not old-time religion, but instead an all-time cross. And this gets back to that idea of surrender. The fires of revival are strictly contingent on the reapplication of Calvary's wood. And I would also say that the church of me so often comes before a crowd to make a name for itself, but the church of we comes before a cross to put an end to self. And so this juxtaposition between we and me, it really comes down to a cross. And are we willing to die daily to our interests, our preferences, our desires, so that we see others within the body of Christ grow? And if I could just give an anecdotal personal remark, 
the church that I previously pastored in North Carolina, I was in a meeting and there was a young lady who had four children, her and her husband were in our church. And she said, you know, when I first came here, I wanted my preference when it came to small groups and when it came to even the worship service. But I see the value of my children worshiping with those in other generations because the church is a family. And I think that was that moment for me that not just the theory behind it, but seeing lives transformed and the value of the church coming together as family. And so moving away from that transactional model of ministry to a relational model of ministry that emphasizes a cross. Mm, Well said. Well, listen, let me toss the ball back to you for final words. Any words of, of counsel, you know, words of encouragement you want to give to our listeners about the conversation today? I would say, Dr. Allen, and you haven't asked me to do this, but I want to commend what you are doing at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary as the motto for the seminary is for the church. And I think that in our age today is, you know, many folks in ministry that they haven't had a healthy view of ecclesiology. I appreciate what you and your team and professors there at Midwestern Seminary are doing so that we can have healthier churches. You know, we had the church growth movement for so long, but I think that you're seeing the pendulum swing to church health. But within that church health, I still think there has to be a desire for healthy ecclesiology, which includes evangelism and discipleship and missions and prayer. So I would just tell our listeners that Midwestern is doing it well and just so thankful to be a partner alongside you in the Southern Baptist Convention as we're seeing churches become healthy. Well, how kind of you, and I appreciate so much that plug. And I want to return the favor and in a heartfelt way and plug your new book, Church Together, The Church of We in the Age of Me, out with Whippenstock Publishers and a tremendous asset, a tremendous resource for the local church. Pastor Dicker, thank you for joining me today on Preaching and Preachers. Thank you, Dr. Allen. It's been a joy to be with you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.